0: Hello, I'm Ned Hallowell, and welcome to my podcast, Dr. Hallowell's Wonderful World of Different. Today, we're going to talk about couples. And my goodness, is there ever, is there any place where difference doesn't come up more immediately than in couples? And our expert today is the best expert I know on couples, my wife, Sue Hallowell, social worker. Been working with couples as a therapist for decades and has been working with me, trying to therapize <laughs> me for coming on 33 years. Our 33 wedding anniversary will be in a, in a matter of days. She's an incredible woman, a wonderful wife, an incredible therapist, mother of our three children, and she is by far my favorite guest to have with me anywhere, including on today's podcast. So welcome to The Wonderful World of different Sue. Hey, Ned. So we were talking before we started, and you were saying people come into a marriage with certain expectations as to what the norm is, you know, the sort of the idealized norm, whether they get that from their own parents or from a sitcom or from magazines or the media. There's there's sort of a, a norm that they have in mind that they're trying to live up to or, or maybe not live up to as the case may be, but uh, you were saying that brings up some interesting situations. Would would you like to comment
1: on that? If you watch a rom-com or even what our families tell us, they tell us what relationships are. First of all, they never tell us that relationships are hard work. There is this idea that two people fall in love, they get together together, And if their relationship is right, it should be easy and smooth sailing and everything should be as they imagined it would be. And, of course, that isn't true because each of us comes to our relationship with our own set of biology and neurology and psychology. And we how we interact with the world is different than the way that our partner interacts with the world. And even though most of us know that, we forget it. It seems like the closer we are to somebody, the more we think they interact with the world in the same way that we do. And it can lead to a lot of challenges. I'm
0: thinking of an example, uh, namely in our own family, and we've been together going on 33 years, you have a very fixed idea of what family dinner is supposed to look like. And now going on 33 years, you're still trying to push that. Uh, Your idea of family dinner is we all sit around the table and uh, have a lovely, lively conversation for 30 minutes. Well, most of us are not 30-minute sit-at-the-table types. And so we're ready to get up and leave the table after seven minutes, if that. And it remains for you a constant disappointment. You will sit there as we each get up and clear our plates and go to the sink, looking increasingly forlorn, wondering what <laughs> happened to the family dinner that was supposed to last for half an hour. And you're still doing this after 32, almost 33 years.
1: That's exactly that's exactly right. Because somewhere in my head, I have this idea that that's what a good family does. And that's what family dinner is all about. That's a family, but you can just as easily, be a couple is, it would, could be the same kind of idea. And that's right. I have always struggled with that instead of understanding that what we can talk about in five minutes, it's what our family, forcing everybody in our family to sit at the table would lead to family discord, not family Love, right? Which is what the goal is.
0: What makes it so hard for you or most people to back away from their ideal? Like I said, you're still pushing the 30-minute 30 dinner <laughs> 33 years later. Why do we so attach ourselves to these ideals instead of trying to adapt to the way it actually is?
1: Yeah, that's, that is such a good question. You know, I think that we're imprinted very early. As to the way that things are supposed to look. And we lose sight of the goal. The goal is to have a close connected family. Or a close connected couple. Right? And the imprint of the ideas. Makes it hard to think it can look any other way. And if you however keep the goal in mind. Theoretically at, le- at least it helps. And. I am better than I used to be about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you still look brokenhearted. But that's the challenge. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you still look brokenhearted, and and if we were nicer people, we would pick up on that and sit there for a half an hour. But we don't.
1: Well, you can't. It's not nicer. You
0: can't. I, I know, but it, I, I think it's representative of how this plays out for lots of families and lots of couples. There are so many examples. Certain couple has an idea of what uh, the proper temperature in the bedroom should be.
1: That's right. or how often you should have sex.
0: Uh huh. Yep. Yep.
1: A um, happy marriage. You have to have sex a lot.
0: Doctor Oz says two and a half times a week.
1: That's right. And and maybe that's not right for your relationship.
0: And, and how do you not-
1: how do you know feel like that your relationship isn't there isn't something wrong with it because you don't meet those norms.
0: So what's your suggestion as a seasoned couples therapist? If your couple says, one member says, we're only having sex once a month, and the other one says, well, that's not normal, we should we should do it twice a week. I heard on Dr. Oz, you're supposed to do it two and a half times a week. I don't know what the half is, but what kind of advice would you give them?
1: There can be lots of issues in that, but assuming that basically they're on the same page, in terms of their libido or what they want out of a relationship intimacy-wise. It's just that they feel like something is wrong because of what they've been told or their ideas about it. Then it's easier to just talk about, look, what's more important is what works for the two of you. How do the two of you feel? What is it that is the goal? The goal is to be loving and intimate with each other. If that is something that you do in other ways and sex takes not as big of a front door for both of you, that's okay for your relationship.
0: But what, what if the one says, no, it's good and proper to make love two and a half times a week, and the other one says, no, I, I don't want to. I only want to do it once a month. That gets into the question of how do you resolve differences?
1: How do well,
0: What's the process by which you come to some kind of reconciliation?
1: Right. And I think that that's also a very tricky idea and in couples. And I think that one of the things that is really tricky is that we assume that our partner sees the world, processes the world in exactly the same way that we do. So whatever they do, we ascribe our meaning to them. And you know, these are really smart people and know it intellectually that that's not true. But in a relationship, we act as if I remember Ned, do you remember when you were in your earlier days and you did a workshop for new heads of school and you had, I think it was John or Susan, I forget which one videotape themselves talking about ferns a very neutral topic, right? And you showed that to these new heads of school and told them that they were going to be your new head of school and you asked their reaction. I
0: showed the video of Susan talking about firms and I said, this woman is going to be the new head of your board of trustees.
1: trustees. You're
0: coming in as the new head of school and this woman is going to be your chair of the board of trustees. then I said, just write uh, several sentences about what you think about her.
1: Right. And what were the reactions?
0: They were wildly disparate. Some people said she seems like Mother Nature. She seems like the kindest, sweetest angel. How lucky I am to have her. Other people said she seems diabolical. Others said she seems cold-hearted, even sadistic. I mean, they were wildly different from one extreme of... She's perfection incarnate to the other extreme of she's a, she's a psychotic axe murderer. <laughs> it was amazing, right. amazing demonstration of how different perceptions are of the same reality.
1: The same reality. And just imagine, and in a couple, that's happening all day, every day, right? They They look at the same thing, but they process it very differently. And so... One of the real challenges is to get people to slow down enough to really be able to ask questions and be curious about what the other person means or thinks or feels, rather than using our own assumptions about that to make a decision or to as a basis for our own reaction.
0: In other words, to try to empathize and be curious and understand the other person.
1: It's not even always to even input. It's just to even understand where they're coming from or what they mean by it. You know, I'll give another personal example from us. Remember, I remember there was one time where one thing Ned does is he often talks about how wonderful our family is, or how wonderful our bed is, or and I am someone who
0: she's by the way she's referring to our literal. Bed. We we have a, a enormous bed. antique king size bed. She wasn't referring to what we do in the bed.
1: No, I was referring to the bed. But I am someone who gets a little antsy with too much praise or too much. Everything's wonderful, and it's often been a point of tension between us. And I would just feel like Ned's bragging. Or one day I actually said to him. Ned, I just can't stand that you do that. And he said to me, he says, Sue, have you ever thought that part of the reason I do it is because in some ways, I'm always afraid the world is going to fall apart. That never crossed my mind. Because I don't, I'm lucky enough not to have that feeling often.
0: Yeah, the, you and I both had rocky childhoods, but the difference is you came out of childhood with a rock-solid sense of confidence and security, for whatever reason, and I came out of my rocky childhood with an incredible sense of insecurity. So I like to reassure myself, basically, and others by saying, "Isn't this a wonderful family?" And, and it is. It's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm blowing smoke. But I'm not doing it to brag at all. I'm doing it to right. sort of reassure myself, look, things are good. Don't don't worry. They're good. They used to be bad. That's right. Now they're good.
1: That's right. And for me, I have always felt like, oh my God, if you think things are going well, that's when things are gonna go bad. So you've right. always gotta you know, you've always gotta keep that tension between not feeling too great about things. Right. Or always being able to look at the other side. And so in that internal tension between the The way we view the world, we can get irritated with each other pretty easily sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I see that. I have a couple who I saw just last week. So this just this other day, it was the Jewish holidays coming up, and the Jewish holidays were very inconvenient this year because they were Labor Day was Rosh Hashanah, so a lot of families were away for the weekend, and this family was. They were on the Cape and. The wife said to the husband, she had decided she wanted to stay down at the Cape a little bit longer because this was on Sunday because a friend of hers was down there. And she said to her husband, so why don't you just pick up the chicken and this and that? And he got very upset and they had a big fight about it. And what the issue was, was that she assumed he would want to go back And not stay an extra day. She didn't check it out with him. And he has this real trouble. He really hates to be told what to do. If she said to him, you know, and she wasn't meaning to boss him around. For her, it was all just practical. You know, she's just sort of thinking through what needs to be done. And assuming what he wants to do. But for him, when she starts telling him, if she'd said, hey, I sort of want to stay an extra day. How do you feel about that? What should we do about dinner? It would have been fine for him. But he's very sensitive. She hates conflict. So their differences in how they approach the world lead them to not ask the right questions or don't let them check in with what the other person is thinking and feeling. So he,
0: he doesn't like to be told what to do, but he's so conflict-averse that when she seems to tell him what to do, he can't say, I don't like to be told what to do?
1: Well, no, she's so conflict-averse. Oh, okay, okay. And so he gets upset then because he feels that she's telling him what to do, and then she totally withdraws and won't engage. Doesn't even think about what might have upset him. But she can't tolerate when he gets angry. So the story's over.
0: So would you say that's another big difference in couples to watch out for, namely how comfortable you are with conflict?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And people who are conflict-averse often feel like the person who is not so confident, is always wrong, particularly if there's someone who can get a little heated in their exchanges, right? Instead of understanding that just because someone gets heated in their exchange, I mean, you can't be cruel to somebody. You can't be mean to somebody. But the actual act of getting heated is more of just a neurological way of being in the world, but for those who are very conflict-diverse, they feel that really intensely, and that becomes the whole story. And so the person with the conflict often ends up feeling like, wait a minute, my issue is never talked about or resolved, because all we talk about is how upset I am.
0: That's something worth changing within yourself. If, you're, if you can't tolerate any conflict, it's worth working on that so you can discover that the conflict isn't that dangerous. That's usually why people can't stand conflict, because they think it portends the end of the world. And and if you can... Well... Yeah?
1: Yeah. But then that's... As someone who is very comfortable with conflict, they would say, well, why doesn't the person who gets so heated learn that they shouldn't do that, that that has an impact on other people, right? And so I try not to go there so much,
0: uh-huh.
1: I try to tell each person, yes, it is your responsibility to work on being able to tolerate the other person's affect and being able to tone down your own affect, right? Mm-hmm. But what's most important is really understanding that you're different. Mm-hmm that neither one of you is doing this to the other person.
0: Right. You you don't have brown eyes as a way of tormenting me any more than I have blue eyes as a way of tormenting you. We just have different eye color.
1: That's right. And it's not about one person being branded as the good guy and one person being branded as the bad guy. Any more than one eye color is better than the other. That's right. And it's important to get to what the person is upset about. As it is that they're getting upset now. Again, it, these some of these are tricky, you know, sexual libido differences, conflict of. It, we're not talking. There are certainly extremes where people are abusive. And yeah,
0: but leave those aside. That's not what we're we're talking not talking
1: about that. Really. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah.
0: In the vast majority of people we see, there's no good guy or bad guy. We're trying to help people come at it so they so that they don't see it in terms of a good guy and bad guy, wouldn't you agree?
1: That's right. And and it's really important understanding the impact of your behavior on the other person.
0: As opposed to the intention.
1: As opposed to just the intention. And that goes both ways, right? If the person who is exploding, they have to know that if they have a conflict avoidance partner when they get upset, that's going to make them feel uncomfortable and they need to acknowledge that. I know when I get upset like this, that really bothers you. And I work on it. I try to do differently, but I know it upsets you. But I still need you to listen to what I'm upset about
0: or just put up with it. I mean, I, you know, I, for example, before we give a party or a dinner or Christmas or anything, you predictably go into hours of, of being a little bit crazy. You're yes, you're afraid. Anxiety. You're afraid nothing's going to work out. It's all going to collapse. They, all the dishes will break. No guests will arrive. The dog is going to poop on the floor. I mean, you become a whirling dervish of of anxiety and uh, short tempered and barking at people, and and it's really hard. And right. I long ago gave up on trying to change that. Now I just try to manage it, you know, or avoid it. <laughs> and, That's right. And I, I love you anyway. I think there's a number of things where you just say, I love you anyway. I'm not going to change it. I certainly have my set of foibles that you've, learn to love me anyway about. Would you say that's another part of dealing with difference in couples and sort of saying, okay, I'll, I'll accept the ones that I don't particularly enjoy.
1: And what can I tolerate and what can I tolerate? Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really important to let things go. Yes. It just is. You know, I often say to my couples, I say, look, you got to let the little things you got to let some things go so that you can really pay attention to the things that aren't acceptable or aren't working in a way that really affects you negatively, right? If you if you pick at every little thing, it's not ever going to you're never going to move forward.
0: Or well, you I'm have always, to be
1: able to let go of some things. Cuz
0: there are there are always little things, you know. That's right. You know. You That's right. Are,
1: and I think, you know, it's so interesting about anxiety because I think because I do know I, I have an impact on the rest of you. When I'm, when I'm like that, but that took me a long time to understand, right? It's easier to feel like the person who is exploding and very angry. It's easier to, to claim that impact than it is someone who is anxious because they're just worried about things, right? And it's really slowing each person down to understanding what, how they view the world and how they impact the other person. And that we often do things, you know, we can acknowledge our impact on someone without thinking we've done something wrong.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. Before we run out of time, and I, of course, I could talk to you all day. I've been talking to you my whole life for 32 years of my life. Do you have any favorite tips, pearls, uh, You can take this to the bank, kind of. I I know you you will shy away from that question because you don't like to sound as if you're bragging, but it's not bragging. Just give us the fruits of your many years of labor with couples. Any pointers, tips, pearls for us? Around difference? No, it doesn't have to be difference. Around couples in general. This is the way to, you know, enjoy being with another person to the fullest.
1: So funny. I've been working on this committee for the last two years and one of our members is getting married in two weeks and someone else in the group said, why don't we all write a list of important marriage tips for him? And I was just writing them before we started this.
0: Oh, no kidding. So what's on your list?
1: Well, I have not finished it, and I haven't even thought about the whole list, but I will tell you what I've written so far. Okay. I always have gone back to Donald, who's at that big dinner uh-huh. with Priscilla and all their friends, said the most important things are determination to stay married. I've actually switched that around a little bit because... That can be sort of grim. And so I've switched it around a little bit to a determination to stay happy in your marriage. Because sometimes it's a choice. Sometimes it really is balancing the needs of yourself, your partner, and the relationship. And figuring out that balance is an art. And really trying to focus on being happy in it. Not if you've got a terrible, there are things that make this not possible. But a lot of times we can decide to be happy.
0: If I could add a footnote to that one, I I think what happens is after a certain amount of time, people are sad over what they didn't get in life. And if they're not careful, they'll start resenting and blaming their partner as the reason for that. And rarely is the partner the reason that they didn't get what they wanted in life. And, And it'd be much better if you could turn to your partner as solace or as commiseration or as maybe a springboard to start getting what you want. But I, I see a lot of people sort of settling into a pattern of resentment, and really the pizzazz goes out of the relationship.
1: Well, and especially since and it goes back to the difference, right? When we assume our partner's annoying habits or what they're doing is really based on what we're feeling, then it's you can see how easy that is. Yeah, yeah. And so really, really wanting to stay happy, knowing when you have to speak up and knowing when you have to let something go. Okay.
0: What's your next tip on your list?
1: Editing is very important.
0: Editing. What is that? It's mean? a
1: very editing. It's very underrated. We don't have to tell our partner everything we're thinking and feeling. Sometimes our feelings are ours to manage. Sometimes it's just better to let something go. And sometimes we really need to speak up. Well, a classic
0: example is when your spouse asks you, do I look too fat?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking more if you are angry about something from the past. I have a couple who's been really struggling with things that have happened in the past in their relationship, even though they're at a very different point right now. And there's this feeling of how much do we need to talk when they get these feelings are going to come up for them, right? And it's, do I need to talk to my partner again, about it again? And I think that's once you have to really think, is it productive to bring up these feelings and talk about them? Is there some change that can be made? Is there something new that isn't known? If not, maybe it's our own feelings to manage.
0: Good point. Okay, one more tip before we wrap up.
1: The only person you can really change is yourself. And if things are going well in the relationship and you really worked with your partner around it and things are going good enough in the relationship, this gets back to trying to be happy, think about if there's something you can do differently to make it better than just about your partner doing everything differently.
0: Very good. Sue, you're awesome. If I may say so, I know you want me to say you're not awesome, but you are awesome. And, uh... (laughs) I will take that (laughs) conviction with me for the rest of my life. Thank you for joining us so very much. Listeners, please write to us with your comments. Send them to wonderfulworld at hallowellcenter.org. That's wonderfulworld at hallowellcenter.org. I can tell you for sure, Sue would love to hear from you. And I certainly would as well. We, we are absolutely dependent upon your feedback. We want your suggestions. We want your show ideas. We want your commentary. We're trying to create a connection with you and connection by definition is two way. So please communicate with us wonderful world at hallowellcenter.org and we will get back to you. I can assure you of that. We're very enthusiastic about uh, developing the widest audience we can for this podcast, The Wonderful World of Different. I'm Ned Hallowell, and for my wonderful wife, Sue Hallowell, goodbye for now.